Good evening, everyone. We're going to turn to the Word. Got some time to just share a message. We are in the One Life series. It's actually launching um, today. And uh, quite a few cities throughout Swanee are all preaching the same message. We did this over the month of May last year as well, and it was a great success. This is something I'm quite passionate about. It's always wonderful when the churches get together. So as you come for these next four Sundays, any church you actually go to that's part of this initiative is going to be preaching the same message. We're going to be doing uh, pulpit swapping, everything like that. And so uh, tonight, all around the city... The message is that we are loved by God. And it's nice to know that I'm not the only one saying that tonight. I just want to stop quickly and just thank the worship team. They just did so well. And uh, just leading us into the presence of God. We didn't get a chance to do that because we went straight into announcements. And it's very important. And uh, now we get to turn to the Word. and, And this message of being loved by God is actually something that Uh, We all hopefully have heard at least once by now, but as you know, it's not enough to just hear it once. There was actually a joke told about a husband and wife, and after many years of marriage, things were growing a little bit stale, and the wife was feeling it quite quite a lot because the husband was, you know, not a very expressive man. He He would show affection in some ways, but he never really told her that he loved her, and eventually after she, you know, mustered up the strength and the courage, she confronted him, and she said, darling, you never tell me that you love me anymore. And so he looked at her and quite sternly said, Darling, the day we got married, I told you that I loved you. If anything changes, I'll let you know. (laughs) And we know from relationship that that is actually, it's not enough. It's not enough to hear it once. Anyone in any healthy relationship knows that you need to hear it at least six or seven times a day. Um, uh, Just to to be sure, know that you're loved. As human beings, we're a little bit like this. Once is not enough. And to know that we're loved by God is not enough. And so to spend the time in our city and say we are loved by God, to just hear that from the Scripture to us, it's very important on a personal level, but also as a community level. It sometimes doesn't feel like God loves our city or loves our country, but He does. He's very adamant and He's very um, sincere in His care for us. And the Scripture that, that is being preached all throughout the city tonight is actually John 3.16, which most people are familiar with. It's worth just quickly looking at it. We all know it. It's for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And these words are encouraging words for us. We could perhaps say, uh, we could make it a little bit smaller and say that God so loved Swanee. God loved our city that He gave His Son for us. This is not a Hollywood funny kind of emotional love. This is a deep love that is marked by action. It's a love that is so deep that He would give His only Son for us. And so we could say that God doesn't just love us, He actually cares deeply about us. He cares about Swanee, He cares about our city, He cares about our problems, He cares about our churches, and He cares about what is going on in this month. And that is very good news. And so this is a message that I could now spend the next couple of minutes just hammering on. God loves you. God loves us. It's so important. We can't hear it enough. But in, the, in this time leading up to tonight, I've, I felt like the Holy Spirit was guiding me, particularly for our community, to, to yes, focus on, on God loving us, but in its application, and I want to spend tonight really applying this love of God for us, I felt to talk about something in particular. And here comes a buzzword, get ready, okay? It's not a nice word. I felt like the Lord wanted us to talk tonight about jealousy. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> 
So we're talking about the love of God, but in its application, I really felt like the Lord wanted to free us as a community from that uh, deadly sin of jealousy. And uh, as we go through a little bit of what the Scripture says, you'll see that there's actually a big connection between being loved by God and struggling with jealousy. People that struggle with jealousy are people that don't know that they are loved. They don't know that they're loved by God. And I have a sense that there's a couple of people here that actually really it's a day-to-day issue, it's a day-to-day struggle. And I believe the Holy Spirit is going to set you free and it's going to come from a reaffirmation of God's love for you. But we want to understand this jealousy thing a little bit. It's a, a word every Christian knows because it's in the Bible. In fact, it's in the Ten Commandments. And anytime something's in the Ten Commandments, we want to pay attention, don't we? We know in this community by now that we have a loving Father who gave, gave these commandments not uh, just to give us rules to obey because he was bored. We know he gave us these laws because they are protective, corrective, and directive. They weren't meant to be giving us relationship. Laws were there to help us have good relationship, but the laws themselves, they're meant to protect us. It's a loving Father who's looking out for us. So when he says, don't do something, it's because it's going to cause pain in our lives. It's going to cause destruction. And so one of the commandments you can read in Exodus or Deuteronomy, it's thou shalt not covet. You know, that's a funny word, you know, it's in the King James. I'm not a real fan of preaching from the King James. If you know me, I love to actually preach from the message. Then I'm going to preach from the NIV just to be diverse. If I was preaching from the King James, for instance, then what I have to say is that this commandment is thou shalt not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, or your neighbor's ass. But since I'm not preaching from the King James Version, I'm not going to use that, say that. It's better to use the message because uh, it comes across a little bit clearly. Although you should not covet your neighbor's ass. It's a very important commandment. Why? Why would God command us not to be jealous? Well, when you read through the Scriptures, and you'll probably have some experiences yourself, you see that when jealousy takes action, it causes quite a bit of destruction. You might be aware of a Bible story of Cain and Abel, the two brothers. And what went wrong there, eventually murder was committed. At the heart of it, Cain was jealous of Abel's relationship with God. Or maybe you know the story of Jacob and Esau, and how Esau was jealous of Jacob. Or perhaps the story of Joseph and his brothers. Now, to be fair, on this story, I actually identify with the brothers, because if my younger brother told me in a, that he had a dream that one day I would bow and bow to him, I would also throw him in a hole. So, <laughs> that said, the, at the issue in the Joseph story is that the brothers were jealous, weren't they? They were jealous of Joseph's special relationship with his father. And so the scriptures have many stories about destruction in communities and in relationships when jealousy is at uh, the heart of it. We know why God says it's not a, a good thing. Um, you know, more recent history, we, we like movies. One of my favorite movies is Gladiator. And uh, the, the story is driven. It starts with um, Commodore, who is jealous of Maximus. And Maximus had a nice, special relationship with uh, Commodore's father, and that's what drives the story. Now, if it wasn't for jealousy, we wouldn't have such a cool movie, but it's not good for Maximus <laughs> and for real life. Or maybe you're a fan of Toy Story. The story is driven by... Woody's jealousy for Buzz. Jealousy of Buzz, isn't it? Buzz is busy replacing Woody. You've got a friend in me uh, until a better model comes along. 
is, is how the song should go, isn't it? Okay. And so we're familiar. They're part of our cultural stories. We tell stories of jealousy and, and what happens as it makes for good films. But it's not really nice in real life. But when we, when we think about jealousy, we often think in, in relational terms, in community terms. We think about other people and what we want from them. We think about things that we don't have or things that other people have that we wish we had. And this isn't just possessions. Perhaps you're jealous of someone else's looks. Maybe they've got nicer teeth than you. Or uh, their face is just, uh, their face is a nine and yours is a six. (laughs) Or skills. People have different skills. Some people are better at playing the guitar, better at singing than other people. And uh, some people maybe are just naturally good at doing certain things and you wish you could, you could pick up uh, that skill so quickly. You wish you could speak as well as that person or you wish you could um, do math at all. That would be wonderful. And then, uh, and then uh, opportunities. We get jealous of each other's opportunities, aren't we? So some people, you know, they, they get into the exact university you wanted to get into or they get the promotion that you were looking for. It's an opportunity and it makes us mad. We get jealous of that. We get jealous of other people's health their height. Maybe someone got an inheritance and you didn't get one. And so we often think in these terms. But I want to peel it back just one layer tonight and and go that jealousy is actually, as we've said, connected to our relationship with God. It's connected connected to how we feel God feels about us. And if you think about it a little bit deeply tonight, um, when you're mad at someone who looks better at you, you're not actually really mad at them. You're mad at God. Because they didn't get to be so beautiful by any of their own effort. God made them more beautiful than you. Isn't it? And if you're really honest with yourself, although it's manifesting and you're really upset at this person, actually, if you want to be honest, you can say, God, I am upset because you made me ugly. And you could have, what's more... You could have made me prettier. You could have made me look better. I know you can. You did it for him. But you didn't do it for me. This is honesty around jealousy. As I was thinking about jealousy, I, I, was, I was influenced. A couple of years ago, I read a book called Enemies of the Heart. It's written by Andy Stanley. I just want to give a good shout out if you can read it. It's great. A lot of this uh, uh, research I've done here actually came from that book. It changed my life. And uh, what he identifies there is that in jealousy, at at the heart of it, we believe that God owes us something. And so it's interesting when we we look at the wreck of our relationships and how jealousy uh, sometimes affects that, but we try and deal with it and we try and peel back to the, the heart of the issue, what you'll often realize is that you're upset at the wrong person. If things aren't perhaps going well, maybe you weren't born into the right family or you didn't get the right opportunity, You're upset at someone else who had the opportunity, but they had nothing to do with it. You should, and I'm just going to move aside for the lightning for a moment, you should be upset at God because He didn't give you the opportunity. He didn't make you born into that family. He didn't give you the inheritance. He didn't give you the car. He didn't give you the looks. He didn't make you smarter. Why are you upset at someone else? You should be upset at God because He could have. He did it for them, but He didn't do it for you. And we don't often think in these terms. So we need to answer the question, who's really to blame? Who are we really angry at? And if we think we're angry at other people, then we face a problem. Maybe you've been here tonight, you've been struggling with jealousy. If you think it through for a moment, 
you are in a bit of a hopeless situation. If you are upset at someone else and you're blaming them for being prettier than you or richer than you and you're not upset at God, then there's no hope because the only way that you solve that is to somehow make them not pretty. It's to, it, okay, this is how it works. We call it a guilty pleasure. Now this is, okay, everyone's looking like all holy now. You know how it is. When someone is richer than you and their car gets scratched, you're like, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm going to pray. But you're actually like, ooh, okay. <laughs> you know? Isn't it so? When the pretty girl comes to school or comes to work and they've got a pimple, you're like, yes, finally. Yes, okay. <laughs> Come on, deep down inside, that's what you're thinking. That's what you're thinking. That's how we deal with it. Because if you think they are the problem, then the only way that you solve it is to remove whatever they have. If they lose what they have, then it solves your problem temporarily, doesn't it? But I want to suggest tonight that the problem with jealousy is not with the other people. It's between us and God. When we're struggling with jealousy, we need to come to terms. It's a very important point tonight with our beef with God. We've got a problem with God and we need to confess it. We've got an issue with Him. We need to have an honest conversation with Him. We are upset, but not about what we think. We're actually, if we're very honest, we're upset because God didn't give us what we wanted. And so, if you will go with me on a quick journey through the Scripture, if this is true, if jealousy is not an issue between people, although it manifests in our relationship between others, but it's actually a core issue between you and God, then we can look to the Scripture, and the Scripture actually has some hope for us. It has a way for us to deal with jealousy. And you'll see how it's connected so directly to God's love and care for us. So if you could, we're just going to spend a few minutes in the book of James. It's a great book. He was the brother of Jesus. And James analyzes human relationship, but he looks beneath the surface. And in the community he was writing to, there were some problems going on. It wasn't just jealousy, but jealousy was one of them. And he's uh, chastising, he's correcting the community because they are fighting amongst one another. And so James now is busy addressing jealousy, but he's actually going a level deeper. James is about to address the common denominator in every single relational struggle. This is one of those keys in life. This is wisdom. If you understand what James is saying here, you'll have some insight into what happens every time a fight goes on between people. So James says in James 4 verse 1, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Now we would perhaps expect a complicated answer because we know life is complex. You know, if you fight with your mom, it's different if you fight with your friend or if you fight with an enemy. There's different reasons. I'm fighting because I hate him or I'm fighting because he took something from me. But James gives a rather simple, almost frustratingly simple answer to that question. He says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? James says every single conflict that goes on between humans has an origin in these internal desires that wage war. James has this picture of someone who's got an internal conflict that's going on. And he says as you get into close proximity with someone, every now and then they bump into you and the internal conflict becomes external. You have these desires that are raging within you. And this Word desire, it's a very interesting word. It's a, the Greek word hey, donay. Say hey, donay. Okay. 
And uh, if you look at the actual spelling, it's, it's one of the root words of actually hedonism. And it's, it's later also translated as pleasure in this exact same verse. And James is referring to our hedonae, our desires. A good English word perhaps would be our appetites. These are the things inside us that cannot be satisfied. Perhaps hunger. When you're hungry, if I was to eat a hamburger right now, it would satisfy me. But three hours later, what happens? I want another hamburger and another hamburger. These are the desires that are never possible to be fully satisfied. They can only be quenched. C.S. Lewis in his book, In Mere Christianity, he refers to these desires that can never be satisfied. He talks about things like our sexual drive, our desire for power and wealth is sometimes included. If you want to think of an unquenchable desire, think of someone who's maybe very wealthy. They tend to pursue even more wealth. The wealth doesn't satisfy, it creates a desire for more wealth. Or perhaps the example I quite like is uh, the difference between a starving person and a greedy, per a greedy person. A starving person can want food just as much as a greedy fat person. Isn't it so? That desire, even though they've had food and food and food and food, the desire might even be more than someone who's had no food. The way to deal with these desires, not like the unquenchable desires, they don't get dealt with by satisfying them. In fact, they tend to grow and get out of control. These are the hedonae that James is referring to. And he says, it is a war going on inside us internally. And this is coming out externally. And he summarizes it in a quite a cute way. It's in James 4 verse 1. He says, this is it. This is the problem. You want something, but you don't get it. I've heard someone say there would be a good parenting technique. Every time the kids are fighting, you get them to go, you know what the problem is here? I want something, and I'm not getting it. And if you can get each person to quietly do that, it will somehow solve the problem. Now, we know real life doesn't work like that. But if you can own that in a fight, perhaps the next time you're having a fight with someone, to both of you stop and just go, you know what the problem is? I want something, and I'm not getting it. It's a little bit embarrassing almost. <laughs> but that's what James says. He says, at the heart, between all the fluff and all the nonsense and all the excuses, there's a conflict going on because you want something. You've got a hate and a, and you're not getting it. It goes on and says, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. This is hyperbole, exaggeration for effect. Although one could say that many murders happen because someone wants something, they cannot get it. Affirmation. Money, power. In fact, in a murder investigation, the first place the police look is to family and relatives, isn't it? Because there was a bump up, there was a conflict. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. James's astute analysis of every single human relationship gone wrong. I want something, but I don't get it. And so then we have a slight problem here because we've got these appetites that cannot actually be satisfied, no matter what, and they're raging within and they're causing a whole bunch of problems. What do you do with desires and appetites that cannot be satisfied? Anyone know? So James has an answer. He says that you need to take them to the one who created them in the first place. If you read in James 4 verse 2, it says, You do not have because you do not ask God. James is saying that you want something. You can't have it. But you're fighting with the wrong people. You're fighting with each other. You should be taking this desire to God. 
You are struggling with this anxiety. You are struggling with this internal battle. But you've been trying to get it from your friend. You've been trying to get it from your family. But God gave you that desire. He wants you to take it to Him. Now, sometimes when someone reads the Scripture, they say, yes, but I have asked God. I've given it to Him. But normally, there isn't a real honesty. We're moving towards an honesty here. There's, a, there's an invitation from James to be honest with God, to say, God, I want something that I can't have. God, I am upset because you did not give me what I wanted, and you gave my friend what they wanted. This, in James, is an invitation to unfiltered, unadulterated prayer. It's, a conversa- it's, a, it's an invitation to a conversation with God. It is implied here that God wants to hear your teeny weeny little problem. God wants to hear it. Peter also has the same idea in 1 Peter 5 verse 7. He says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. God loves you. He cares for you. This, this verse in Peter, it's very interesting. The Greek word, yeah, all, actually means all. Yeah. So, what do you, does God care about, you know, the, the, little, the little fight that you had with your friend? Yes, He does. That's all. Does God care about the fact that you're struggling today, that you can't find a job, that you don't have money? Yes, He cares. Does He care about the little fight that you had with your friend last week? He cares. It's all. It's all included in all. There's a promise here. There's an invitation from God who loves us. And He says, I care. I actually want to hear about your little problems. Part, part of our challenge is that we, we often think that God doesn't care about our problems. But, but if God loves us and He cares for us, then even if it's a tiny little thing, if it's important to us, then it's important to God because we are important to Him. It's quite important. If we don't believe that God cares about us, that He loves us, we won't bring these desires to Him. We'll take them out on other people. And so we know that many people, they they don't feel secure in the love of God. They need to hear, they need to know that God loves them. And is there perhaps a, a link between people that are struggling with jealousy and those that uh, don't know that they're loved by God. James 4 verse 3 says, When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And so here we have, you know, for, for newer Christians, they like James 4 verse 2. It says, you do not have because you do not ask. And they assume that if you ask, God is just going to give. And then you kind of want to skip out in verse 3 where, because it almost seems like in verse 3 that James is busy giving God a bit of an out, isn't it? So, yes, you can ask, but actually God is going to say no in any case. But uh, anyone here who's made one or two big mistakes in life probably understands this verse a little bit better. That actually, I'm sure we can get testimony after testimony of things that we've asked for that you are so happy you never got. Or how about people that you asked for that you're happy you never got? 16-year-old you was praying for Angelina Jolie, but now you're happy you never got married, eh? Okay. (laughs) And so we know that God is a loving Father, and if we come and we ask, we, we we can come knowing that God cares, but we know that when He answers us, it's not always a yes, because He loves us. 
Perhaps a picture you could have is maybe of a father and a daughter who's gone off to university and maybe entered kind of a party lifestyle, busy failing, uh, failing her grades. And what does the father do? Does he keep financing her, her semi-drug habit? Or does he you know, bring her back for a term, bring her back home, maybe cuts the funding for a little while in order to save her? The father sometimes acts differently and in contravention to what maybe the daughter wants. The daughter wants to stay at university and party. James 4 verse 3. It gives us some insight, and as we understand the love of God, we understand a very important principle that, that God loves us, and he, he loves others. In fact, we could say that God loves you and those around you too much to give you everything you ask for, but he still wants you to ask. I've put that into a nice little hashtag uh, because uh, I just need to make it tweetable uh, because I need to make sure that you remember this. God loves you and those around you too much to give you everything you ask for. But he still wants you to ask. The first bit of James, God wants you to ask. He cares about you. He wants you to give your desires to him, the thing that you're busy struggling with. In fact, probably God wants you to have a bit of a conversation that goes something like this. To go, God, I'm angry. God, I'm disappointed. God, I am upset because I am not getting my way. Have you ever had a conversation like that with God? God, I'm not getting what I want. God, why didn't you make my life easier? God, why don't you just give me the car? You gave my friend the car. Why aren't you giving me the car? We need to have a conversation. God is inviting us to a conversation like that. It's at the root of jealousy. It's an invitation to a prayer, an interaction with God, an honest interaction. And God is not afraid of an interaction like that. I, in fact, I, I think he's looking forward to it. There's <laughs> a sense in which he wants many of us here to come to him. To know We won't come unless we know that we are loved and that he cares, that he wants to listen, that he wants to hear. In James 1.17, it says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. God has good things for us. In fact, every good thing, if there's a good thing in your life, it's from God. Simple as that. That's what's in the Scripture. Every good thing comes from the Father. Sometimes we ask for things that aren't good. He won't give it to us because it's not good. He can only give us good things. And so with this understanding that as we come to Him, He's not going to give us everything. He still wants us to come. We cannot say, Lord, if you're not going to give it to me, I'm not going to come. It doesn't work like that. He's saying, I've put these desires in you. I want you to come to me to satisfy these desires. You're so upset with your friends. You're so upset at the world. You're so upset with everyone else. You're so jealous of them. Come speak to me. I made it that way. We need to have a conversation with God. We need to direct our frustration away from one another. We need to direct it up to God. And we need to hear what He has to say. And so if you can imagine perhaps entering into a conversation like this with God... I've had a number of them, and uh, I've always found it to be interesting as I, as I come in, I'm anxious, I identify with Peter to cast my anxiety on the Lord, I'm feeling frustrated, and I try and be as honest as possible to go, Lord, I'm upset, Lord, why are things like this, Lord, why, it just seems so much easier for them than it is for me in this particular area, 
And I found that as I wait on the Lord and as I engage with Him, all I receive is love and acceptance and care. That Scripture becomes true. He really does care. Even when I'm behaving a bit like a spoiled brat, even when I'm being a little bit arrogant, He still listens. He still cares. And in that time of prayer, I begin to get perspective. Prayer often changes us, and we begin to see as I... As I'm with the Lord, I begin to remember the good things that He's done for me. In fact, that list, although it seemed so long when I came in, another list begins to grow. And it's the list of all the things that the Lord has done for me. And then I begin to remember things like He loves me and that He sent His Son to die for me. And that uh, the cross is such a powerful symbol. In fact, when I go in often to these conversations, I'm thinking, God, you owe me something here. And then as I'm reminded of the cross, I realize that he owes me nothing, that I owe him everything. It's funny, you sometimes enter these conversations with a long list of demands, and it normally ends with a bit of an apology <laughs> from outside. <laughs> but it's a gentle, it's a gracious thing. It's the only place where you can find peace. It's the only way to solve this anxiety, this battle that's going on inside, which spills over into our communities where we direct these frustrations at one another, where actually we need to take them to God. Yes, there are things that people do, and they are at fault, but jealousy is the things where they really aren't at fault. They really can't help that they are so amazing. <laughs> they just can't. <laughs> they can't help that they're so good-looking. God made them like that. And there's a fear that in a community, if, when jealousy begins to fester and it goes on, it brings disunity, discord. It also robs us of the richness of relationship to enjoy the gifts that one another has. Someone could have an incredible musical gift and you don't have one and maybe God gave it to them so that you could enjoy it through them. And so jealousy blinds us to that sort of thinking. It makes us so focused on what we don't have that we miss perhaps the gift, the good gift that the Father has given to us in someone else. And so it's quite important that we engage with the Lord and free our hearts. And so here's the application. Two, two applications. The one tonight, we're not going to... Jealousy is a, a bit of an embarrassing thing, actually. No one really wants to confess it because it's kind of awkward to say, like, I'm really just upset because I'm not getting my way. Um, and when you tell someone to jealous, it's almost... It's, 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 ugh, okay. So... We're not going to stand and pray like, oh, I'm struggling with jealousy. <laughs> We're going to save you that. <laughs> but tonight, the first prayer, and this is something I, I think, I really, there's an appointment here for some people where God is waiting. That tonight is really just about an invitation that you can hear, that you can actually do this, that you can actually have this conversation with God, that God is not afraid, that He wants it, that He's welcoming it, that all this frustration is not going to be solved. Someone else can't solve a problem that they didn't create. God wants you to come to Him. So the first application is, if, if you're struggling with jealousy, you need to have a heart-to-heart -heart with God. And that's what He wants with you. He wants you to come honestly. He's not afraid. And I'm going to believe and that we're going to pray for is for a, just a peace and a shifting of perspective. You know, what's funny in, in prayer sometimes is now we know that obviously God can sometimes say no. So we'll be honest, you know, Lord, I wish, I just wish I was better looking. It would, you know, just be great, you know. <laughs> And uh, maybe the Lord has a reason for it. The, the challenge, is, as many of you have walked along with the Lord now, realize is the Lord often doesn't just answer no. In fact, He's sometimes silent. The no often comes in the form of the car just not rocking up on your driveway. Or the back that just doesn't get healed. 
no matter how many times you pray for it. Or the family member, there's just no answer. Sometimes God's no doesn't come with clear answers. It's just a no. We know this in our prayer life that there is times where God is silent. But He still wants us to ask. He still wants us to come. And in that place, you see, I, I think it's because He wants us to trust Him. He wants us to have relationship with Him. There's going to be certain things, and we'll have testimonies of amazing times where the Lord has answered, He's come through, and times where the Lord has clearly said no, and He saved us from something terrible. And in times where God was silent, and that was the answer. That's what we need to be prepared for. But He is a loving Father, and He gives us, he gives us good gifts. So first application is if you're struggling with jealousy, we're going to pray a prayer at the end, but, but you, it's up to you. You need to have that conversation. Maybe I'll save you now like 50 years of heartache, your friend is not going to solve it for you. Your, the, person, the, the rich person is not going to give you the money. They're just not. <laughs> okay? It's just not going to happen. And uh, apart from plastic surgery, you're stuck with that face for the rest of your life. Yes? <laughs> but a, a second application, because remember, this is an ongoing thing. When we are securing God's love, when we know that we're loved by God, the issue of jealousy, it becomes a, a minor issue. We're not so concerned on what we don't have and what others have. We're much more secure in what He has given us. And so when you begin to struggle with jealousy, you must remember to, to go back to the Lord and to receive His love. But there is something that we can do on a day-to-day -day basis. It's a, a way to confront jealousy. If we recognize how it wrecks communities and you want to put things in place, uh, to, to, to combat, perhaps, jealousy in your life, maybe this is something that you struggle, then uh, the way to confront jealousy is to celebrate, in particular to celebrate others. When we're jealous, we tend to celebrate people's failures. Not outwardly. Outwardly, we pray for them. Inwardly, we celebrate. <laughs> but when we are freed from jealousy, we tend to celebrate people's successes. And this is something that we can put in our lives as a discipline. It's one of those things that you can do really Fake it till you make it. You don't have to feel like you're happy. You do need to celebrate them. There's some people that cannot even congratulate, you know, a husband or a wife just because they're so envious, because they're so upset. There's people, like friends, they just, they just, you can just see it on their face that they are upset. Okay. And we don't want that in our community. We want to celebrate one another. We want to know. And, and so this is the homework this week. One person to go celebrate. And I want to quickly just take it one level deeper. I just have a sense to say that there's, there's, a, um, um, there's a need to, to really, if, if you want to be free in this thing, to drive it home. And, and, and often the way it works, and we don't even realize it, is we, we become jealous of a group of people even. So think for a moment. Is there a category of, peop of, of people that you resent? Is there a category of people that you resent? I'm talking like when you see old people, does it just upset you? You know? Or, or young people. Or men. Or women. You know, like when something goes wrong with a man, you're like, yeah. You know? Yeah. How about that? How about black people? How about white people? How about Indian people? How about colored people? How about rich people? Come on, you know you get happy when they lose their money. <laughs> Are you offended at rich people? Are you offended at poor people? I don't know. What category of people do you secretly resent? And this week is to go and celebrate one of them. 
If you want to break free from jealousy, you go and celebrate. You fake it till you make it. You serve them. You celebrate their success. And imagine with me for a moment, just dream, if we were to obey the Scripture in this area, if we were to take these things to God, if we were to root jealousy out of a community, imagine what our community would look like. Would we be a different community? Would we be set apart? Imagine as you sat here and you looked to the left and the right, you knew that every single person here wanted the best for you. That when something went well with you, they were genuinely happy. Yes, they've got their own issues. So, so when you get the big inheritance... And they're struggling financially. Their first thought is, I'm happy for you. I'm so glad you had a breakthrough financially. Their first thought is, that's not fair. Come on. Imagine we live in a community where you knew that every single person was free of jealousy. This is possible. It's a community that we could have if we obeyed the Lord in this area of our lives. And so I want to pray. If you um, want this for your life, if you want to have a conversation with God, I'm going to pray for grace. And I'm going to issue that challenge to to celebrate one another. Lord, we want to thank you for your love for us. That you love us so deeply. And that you care about us. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will touch on the hearts of those that are really, really under this burden of jealousy. Where they're unhappy, they're anxious. They're focused on what they don't have. Or what what other people have, Lord. And I pray for freedom as they bring these desires to you. I pray for honest conversations to be had with you, Lord. And then, Lord, for those who want to make a commitment to be free from jealousy, I pray for inspiration, for wisdom, as we go and take up your challenge, Lord, to celebrate others in this week. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.